the influence of the voice, songs, and communicating with others. It is necessary to recall the importance of art within the movement of Extinction Rebellion. Art is a universal form of expression that has existed for as long as humans have had tools to leave impressions on natural surfaces. In this episode, I'm joined by Lilek from Extinction Rebellion, and we begin the task of explaining what in fact is Extinction Rebellion, where some of the influences originate from, and we scratch the surface of what climate and social justice activism entails. Lilek also gives us an introduction to Earth Holder, which we will delve deeper into in our next episode. The lovely voice you are about to hear is Lilek's. Thank you, Lilek, for your time and fascinating insight into the world of Extinction Rebellion. Enjoy. I'm walking on the earth. I'm talking to the earth. She whispers in my ear. Slow down, slow down, my dear. She whispers in my ear, Slow down, slow down, my dear. I'm walking on the earth, I'm talking to the earth. She tells me I know, Let go, let go, let go. She tells me I know, let go, let go, let go. I'm walking on the earth, I'm talking to the earth. She answers to me, just be, just be, just be. She answers to me, just be, just be, just be. I'm joined by Lilek from uh, Extinction Rebellion, but also Earth Holder. And these are two organizations which we will talk about. Lilek, thank you very much for joining me. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Zach, for inviting me. Yeah, a lot of people haven't got a clue, of course, but we met, uh, I think it was, was it a week ago or two weeks ago? Do you remember? Two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it was the first time we'd actually met and we had like uh, this crazy, in-depth, spiritual, philosophical, fantastic conversation for an hour, almost like we'd known each other for years. Um, uh, yeah, and I really appreciate the openness and the way that we just, uh, yeah, we just sort of jumped into our topics. Um, and so I just wanted to thank you for that experience, which is so positive for me, by the way. Well, um, thank yeah. you for like being so open to, and it was very easy to talk to you and to talk with you. Yeah. Well, that helps that your English is so good. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you're also, if I'm slightly off topic, but uh, if I do remember correctly, you also said you're a bit of a performer, aren't you? Well, yeah, I've been a singer for many years, not professionally, which means I don't have to earn money with it. Um, of course, I want to get paid, but I don't need to I don't need to get money to um, 
make make a make a living and i i made that choice very consciously but i i'm a i'm a performer at heart and i like to talk to people and communicate with people and music and singing is a very special way of communicating with people and of conveying messages which are sometimes intellectual but more spiritual and emotional and this is what i really enjoy which is what is missing in my life right now unfortunately Yeah, and, and it, I, I asked the question because I think, as you correctly, um, obviously alluded to, uh, in that spiritual element there, that uh, that the voice has a particular value in our existence, um, but also as a as a musical medium, uh, the ability of delivering certain kinds of messages through song um, is a very very ancient human tradition, uh, which we can actually experience across many cultures. Yeah, and like, let's say, I said this element is missing in my life right now. Let, let's say it is partly missing because here comes the spiritual part. I usually go and visit the monastery where I practice or like my, my spiritual home in southwest France, Plum Village, um, which is also the name of the tra tradition that I practice in. Uh, I visited like two if possible, three times a year. And uh, I usually sing there. Like I'm invited to sing. I do deep relaxations and I, I sing spiritual songs of our tradition, but also other spiritual songs and fun songs for people. And I, I always get amazing feedback that people can relax um, more deeply or they can like access feelings or they're just they're just very happy and and entertained by by the songs and uh, the, those songs of practice for example are very important in our tradition because my teacher Tignat Han um, who died last year uh, he was over 90 years old so we had uh, quite some time with him uh, luckily so he always encouraged people to compose songs about the practice, about mindfulness practice, about their insights um, and about about uh, community. And he also encouraged any form of arts. He wanted to. Uh, that's not a tradition where you're not allowed to sing or dance or do those things like in some other Buddhist traditions. But in this tradition, you're really encouraged to express yourself and you're it's it's actually valued it's it's cherished and this is this is such a blessing for me because um i can be there as i am and and people also like value my talents and i can i can integrate that i don't have to i don't have to separate it from my practice but it's welcome there and this is also a part that we will talk about about the um integrity and the integration of of so many things and and that you can integrate spirituality into activism or vice versa or that it is it can be both combined and that it's actually um quite a good combination yeah uh, i mean the fact that they fit so well sort of hand in glove um it, i don't think it's a coincidence but um as with many uh, of these traditional elements to human development quite a lot we have forgotten about in favor of 
more convenient methods of communicating and doing things, um, whether that's digitalization or some other kind of process. Uh, and sometimes when people are looking for the value in friendship and they miss it, it's because we have decided to overlook our basic connections um, and so on. But as you said, this is something we will come back to. So uh, I, I very much value uh, this these parts of our conversation because it serves to highlight that there is so much importance in the simple things that we can do that we tend to forget that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, that's why I, I wanted to, to introduce this straight away so that people would realize this is some of the basis from which um, you know, a lot of the experiences that we talk about will come from. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what's also interesting is as an introduction to how we got into contact, it's um, a big part of that I would love for you to explain um, in a moment about Extinction Rebellion. But uh, I have for a long time wanted to speak to one of the and this is what's quite funny. One of the, the leaders, as it were, of Extinction Rebellion. And so I contacted them via uh, what the platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, they responded very kindly and said, look, this is our map. Um, so you pick or oh, this is this this website will give you this is a link to our global map. You have a look where you are and you contact whichever one. Um, of the sort of chapter organizations or points of contact mm -hmm. that you wish. Um, and obviously, I you were the first that I got in touch with um, and you responded. And here we are having this wonderful conversation. But obviously, I started from this misconception that Extinction Rebellion has perhaps uh, a supreme leader or I don't know what, blah, blah, blah. As, as this universal global organization. Um, and that's not what they are, is it? Well, before I, I yeah. elaborate on that, I have to tell the listeners this funny story that because of my name, Lilek, which is my activist name, and it's, by the way, it's Czech and it, it, it means eggplant, um, uh, that you thought that I was a Polish man, actually, and <laughs> that when we met, you were so surprised that you were like, are you Lilek? Are you Lilek? And I was like, yeah, of course I'm Lilek. Hello, Zach. And so, like, I don't think, I don't know, like two hours into our conversation, you you told me that or even when saying goodbye. And I was so, um, yeah, so amused about that because, of course, you couldn't know. But um I'm sometimes mistaken for a Polish woman, but never for a Polish man. So thank you that it kind of uh, enriched my identity um, options, let's say. Yeah. Well, and now to your question. Uh, well, Extinction Rebellion is a an SOS, a self-organizing system. I would say that there are kind of founders, but there are no leaders. And this is a big difference, though. I think you you contact the, those people from the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and they're really amazing. I mean, some of especially what's her name? She she is really really smart and really really sensitive. And uh, funny enough, I saw her when she was giving a talk um, in an online retreat from Plum Village, which was called. Uh, action from the heart and it was about activism and um she she had a vision of how uh to to 
to found that kind of movement and what this kind of movement needed. And uh, one of one of the things that she wanted to integrate, and there you have a first parallel, is the arts. She said, we need the arts, we need some kind of artistic expression, and we need to express ourselves artistically. And uh, this kind of, uh, let's say, organization um, does only work Europe-wide or worldwide when there is not one leader, but when there are groups that are independent and that can um, make their own decisions. For example, Extinction Rebellion UK just decided not to do civil disobedience anymore uh, because the, 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 the legal aspects or the legal situation in the UK has changed dramatically for activists, which has not been the case so far in Germany. It's kind of changing right now also through the last generation and their massive protests, their massive civil civil disobedience. But it is still like easier to do civil disobedience or gluing yourself to the street or whatever without uh, going to jail for two or three or seven years, you know. So it is not possible to tell everyone in Europe when you want the organization to spread what to do because also as a leader, even in the country, like if there were uh, one person who was the leader of Extinction Rebellion Germany, they would not know what works in Hamburg or what works in Munich and how people react, how people respond. So it's like act local, right? It's like like eating. You need to think global. You you are in a global network. You are in this um climate justice movement and you want to make sure that you also have a network uh, with which connects you to other movements um, but you also have your local focus which means that you can change something in your city or in your area and this those can be very specific very different things and it also depends on the creativity of people because of course it's not easy Zach it's not easy not to have a leader um, because this self-organization is something that you have to kind of understand and where you have to be involved of course for things to work and some groups they don't survive that or it depends on the on the members in the groups if you have enough people who are engaged and who are willing to to put themselves forward or give ideas and then let go of these ideas of course because it's a group process then it it can work but if you don't and through covid for example the situation changed rapidly and radically and we had to adapt so this is this is something that also changes the way how we how we act or how we organize ourselves. But um, we are not we are not a, the secret service of the climate justice movements or something like that. Yeah, which there is this reputation um, with uh, either Extinction Rebellion, but also last generation um, that people have this concept, um, which is uh, I, I've, I find quite interesting. Um, but also one of the benefits to the system that you've outlined um, is that by not having a, an individual or a body within a certain country to be the, the sort of global leaders, what that removes from the equation is the possibility of a power grab or people trying to use this as a means of enrichment, which have, which has in some ways 
taken attention away from other movements because they've said, look, this person, they just want to make money. They, they, they've gone out and um, they, they benefited from this. And then they've just gone ahead and bought some expensive car or an expensive home and blah, blah, blah. Um, but with this kind of organization, that doesn't happen because there is no one individual who benefits more than the movement. It's totally ridiculous. You know, I told you in our first conversation already that now we have a Spiegel documentary, you know, that kind of investigative uh, but very populist um, journalism. And they have like half an hour about last generation uh, behind the scenes, um, the real structure of last generation. I'm like missing myself, you know, like because it's. It's so funny. I'm not within the core group, but I'm in the outer circle and the structures are clear. They're very transparent. And I'm like, why do people make those things up? Because, of course, we're uh, like the climate justice movements that do this, especially civil disobedience. They're perceived as we are other than the normal folks who work and blah, 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 which is not entirely true because we do work. I do work. <laughs> and for that, for example, it's like um, I, uh, I I was uh, telling someone, you know, like when you work and you really put your heart into it and it's it's maybe a social job and you do it because you love it. Don't you think you should still be paid? And people go like, Yeah, sure, if it's your job. And I said, yeah, and this is how some activists get paid who do it full time because they cannot invest so much time and energy and have a have a normal work, which we perceive like the work that we perceive as normal or, as we say, a bread job in, in German. And so in this context, people think that we all do things like for free, which is, Zach, which is mostly true. I don't get any money for what I do. And I don't, as far like for now, I don't need it. I don't want it because this is, this is my passion. But if, if I had to, uh, if I, if I gave up my job for doing full-time activism, then of course I would need something to live from. And so you get a, you get, get a kind of uh, grant, Uh, and and you can apply for, but uh, there is nothing yet that you can uh, enrich yourself um, with, uh, especially because, of course, there are legal costs that need to be paid from those funds. So um, if you're active, then you have other costs uh, that that are on top. Yeah, this is um this is an issue of being involved in this kind of political work, voluntary work, where you are you work with a, within an organization, perhaps or loosely, depending on the structure. Um, and people look at it and they say, oh, that person is just doing it for the money because they've earned money. And it's very interesting how within such a capitalistic system that we have. Yeah, when, exactly. When volunteers say, well, look, I need to earn a bit of money because I can't just dedicate 100 percent of my life to this. And people say, you want money? Ah, you want money, do you? So that, one minute. You are a capitalist. Your entire existence is based <laughs> yes. upon profiteering. And here I'm saying I simply want a fair wage to do something good for everyone. And that's being thrown at me like it's some kind of a weapon. The, the contradictions within this criticism I do yes. find interesting. And not only in this criticism, but in many more, in many more. And you can 
you can actually deconstruct it. But it's like we recently had a talk with the um, FDP, like the liberal one, one of the leaders of the uh, liberals, um, because we also talk like I'm, I'm in a different group, which is called Schwamm for Future. And we we uh, talk to politicians and we even try to talk to the liberal guy and, and we could easily con deconstruct his ideas about um, uh, why we cannot we cannot invest in in sustainability as much as we should or whatever why why we can't stop um, nuclear power la 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 but his ideology is, is so locked up in itself that it's it's so hard to enter and that's that's kind of the the thing that we see uh, here that people think when you do something good for the society or let's some don't even think that it's something good but they kind of all get that it's it's work it's something that you invest a lot in then they think it it can be something that they do because there's idealists or i don't know they're good people but it's for the money and that's that's something that is so um so far away from from my own thinking and i want to show you just briefly show you the book that i'm reading because it sure. fits very well into what you just said let me get it yeah so i wanted to support myself morally and i saw this book it's it's a bestseller im grunde gut um and the original title it's it's uh, a a Belgian, it's a Belgian author, um, Humankind, it's called. Okay. And it's about uh, humans being actually, being actually quite good, good people, especially when there are catastrophes and when the situation is worsening, they try to help each other. And the problem about, about it is that humans themselves don't believe in their goodness. They don't believe that this can be true, although apparently he's talking about science here. He deconstructs very, very famous experiments, social psychological experiments that have proven that mankind or man is bad. He he actually um, he actually says they are a fraud and he can prove it. So the problem about us is be not believing in our own goodness and i think this is exactly what people uh, fall for when they say this cannot be true that you're an activist because you you believe in what you do it's just because you want the money because this is how we're raised and this is how our world functions more or less yeah we are conditioned to believe that uh, only a selfish individual can in any way uh, benefit from a specific situation we have to look after number one um, and, and this is the the basis of a lot of our educational systems unfortunately um, can you give me the just mention the the author's name so that I can put it in the notes later yeah sure his name is Rutka Bregman uh, a new story of humankind and it's uh, it's very easy to read it's entertaining and still with a good scientific foundation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, I, yeah, I agree uh, with the little that you have explained of the book, because I, I've often thought as well, a lot of people, when you ask them to do something good or you ask them to just believe in the possibility of something good happening, the spontaneous response is, but that's how it is. That's how we are. 
Um, and straight away, this is one of the most defeatist sentiments I've ever heard, because you're basically saying, I recognize that the situation is shit, but I don't want to change it because that's the natural situation. Um, and, and I can't see why people are so satisfied to accept the status quo when the status quo is unacceptable. Well, apparently it's not unacceptable yet which is a problem because when it becomes unacceptable, it's really almost too late or it's quite late and it's already late. And for people in the South, not only the global South, but also in in Greece, for example, where Greece was like burning this summer and was so hot that even the locals said, wow, this is not normal anymore. It becomes uh, unacceptable. And uh, like when your water is rationed, um, I just read that the Berlin Senate is working on a plan of rationing the water because Brandenburg and Berlin are uh, funny enough. They were in the northeast, but we're the driest, um, the driest state in in Germany. Mm. This will be this will come. Mm. They should be give more groundwater then to the uh, Tesla battery factory. Oh my then. God, this is something I. <laughs> this is my spiritual practice. Like as soon as you mention it, I'm like breathing in, breathing out. <laughs> I cannot change it right now. Yeah, but yeah. it's this. This is just uh, lunatic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely crazy. And people said to them that, look, this is the groundwater which is gonna good serve yes. Berlin as well. And oh, we've got enough. Yeah, of course you do. Um, and Although scientists said uh, the opposite and many tests had not been run and whatever. So this is just like this makes me believe rather in the in the in the bad side of humankind than in the good <laughs> side. But I'm I'm training, you know, Zach, I'm training. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to remind you of these awful things. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but let's let's jump back into the positivity. So, okay, uh, we've talked about Extinction Rebellion a little bit, and this is like a mini series where we're going to develop our understanding of Extinction Rebellion. And um, you, before we jump into the Earth Holder mission, um, which I'm keen to do, um, you spoke before about Plum Village, um, and this is your spiritual home. Um, but also, when we met, you said that there was a, a strong combination between Extinction Rebellion's founders and Plum Village. Do I remember that correctly? Yes, you do. As as far as I know, the the founders, not all of them, but some of them, they actually they are practitioners, um, and they try to work with some monks and nuns. Uh, who are very engaged also because they were journalists before, for example, and they're still they they still have this strong link to society and social issues um, more than other people in the monastery. So they they try to work with them and see how they could integrate the practice like the mindfulness aspects in this uh, form of activism to make it more sustainable, because we're talking about regenerative cultures, which is a basis of Extinction Rebellion, and which means that we're trying to, well, we're trying to be the change. We come from a toxic system, we live in a toxic system, but we want to change the system. So we try to to start where we are in our organization and we try to do activism in the way that it is not only it's not only effective, 
but that it's long term because one of the problems of our society is our short term vision or short term way of thinking. And we have to think long term and also in our activism because it's not you it cannot be done in a week or in a year yeah whenever you mentioned this and i think we also spoke about this when we met uh, short termism and then medium term long term um realistically speaking having such short term political roles or terms when politicians are elected means that the the political rulers of our society do not in any way engage in long-term thinking. All they care about is the election cycle. So they want to satisfy people in the now and then well, you know, next year's issue, well, we'll talk about next year's issue after the election. That's not my problem. I might not be here in this role anymore. And this lack of universal responsibility not just for re-election but for society and the the environment is really killing us Uh, and and i don't understand why we allow that to happen if the people were more demanding of their politicians then their politicians would not be allowed or able to be so selfish i i think so too i agree with you and you know the funny thing is that I come back to the book because uh, not only him, but he he writes it uh, to Rutger Bregmann. He says, well, our big evolutionary advantage was and is cooperation. It's because we cooperate so well as a species, even maybe more than the other human species that existed before us or like uh, even at the same time of the homo sapiens um, in the beginning we are so good in imitating social learning and cooperation that we could let's say in a way succeed we could survive although we were so fragile and this is still this is still happening every day of course but politics uh, seem to be seem to kind of be excluded from that or let's say what i want to say is if we saw this as a cooperative um, effort and we need to see it as a cooperative effort because it's about it's about us as a as a people but us as as humankind and also us as uh, the ecosystem of the earth which we're trying to save if we saw it as a cooperative effort, we would act differently and we would understand that we have the same goal and that we kind of need to get there. And of course, we have to discuss, but maybe there is no best solution. And I can see that in the discussion about climate change or measures that have to be taken, mitigation we discuss so much and everyone seems to have the best solution, which the others don't favor, uh, that we lose time. And instead of doing something and doing, let's say, the obvious, which we can do, which will certainly help, we're still talking about solutions and uh, technical solutions that might never happen or that might be ready when it's already too late. And so uh, this is where, for example, the work of Joanna Macy comes into play, um, the work that reconnects, which which is also a way of, of uh, thinking about time differently. She says, we, exactly what you said, we need to adopt this, this view of thinking 
in generations, not only the next generation or the generation afterwards, but the next seven generations, like in some indigenous traditions. And if we have that long term view, we will think about the consequences of our actions in the now differently. Of course, that's a big thing. I know that it's not easy, but it does like open your view and it it, it does help to tr take certain decisions. Yep. Well, this is also the unfortunate side effect, I guess, of this um, age old European um, superiority where um, these European colonialists refuse to accept the the sense of um, indigenous traditions because they believe themselves to be superior, that their methods, their strength was absolute. Um, so to tell people, actually, do you know what? We've been screwing up for the last three or four hundred years. Actually, you need to do it this way. Um, it's unfortunately quite difficult for some people to understand that. And it is a throwback and it should make some people realize we are not completely over colonialism. In fact, not at all. Yeah. Colonialism is relived on a daily basis. It just has a, a nicer smile on its face, perhaps now. I'm not sure about that. I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I think it's not about the colonialism in the old days where you where you went to a to a different country or a different continent and you put your flag there and said, "Okay, this is my my territory now." Of course, maybe that's what you mean. It's yeah. more through consumption, it's more through who you let in, who you treat, how. And this is also, um, it's good that you mention it because one part of uh, regenerative cultures is decolonization, decolonizing your mind, because this is also not regenerative. Regenerative culture cultures are about the well-being of all, of you as a subject, then your community, the society, but also the whole. And it's it's also part of what we earth holders, and we will talk about that more in the next section, but maybe I can give a, a kind of preview. That's what we try to focus on to help people understand that we are connected uh, no matter what. And I think kind of people know because we're talking about the globalization. We're talking about globalization and everyone knows about it and says, yeah, no, la, la. but what does that mean? What does that mean for us here in the global north, for example? And uh, this is what we're not really able to to change right now, because in part what you said, because we think we cannot change anything. That's the way it is. And so therefore we are set uh, in, fixed in this uh, paralysis of inactivity because uh, yeah, it is what it is. And unfortunately, um, it's not what it is, but it's what we make it. Um, and there you are. Thank you. Lillian. Always a pleasure to talk to you.